0: Well, happy Father's Day. Great to have you in church this morning. Uh, for all of you joining us online, we're so glad to have you. Praying that the Holy Spirit will minister to you, to you where you are. And uh, for all the dads and the men in our lives who invest in us, uh, we are so thankful for all the wisdom you share. Uh, sometimes, you know, uh, uh, you know, when we want to receive it and other times when we don't. You know, we're thankful for that. Thank you for the, the, the courage that you share when we need it and uh, and for your sacrifice. How many you know that a dad is someone who carries pictures of his kids in his wallet where his money used to be? <laughs> there you go. That's my dad joke of the day, and uh, they're looking for my stand. If you're wondering what, what we're doing, we're looking for my stand in somewhere. Someone stole my... Just any, just any music stand will do. It's fine. I'll take this one if you don't mind. Good. Well, um, any sports fans in the house? Sports fans? We're all the sports fans. All right. All right, where's all the movie buffs? you love a good movie? Where's all the readers? You're into a novel, you know, that fiction, non-fiction. Any like TV, like you're a Netflix binge-watcher, right? If if you're any of those, you're gonna understand this uh, statement that I'm about to make, Spoiler spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. How many know the significance of a spoiler alert? Have you ever been like, you've been waiting to see that blockbuster? You're like, you know, I'm just waiting a couple weeks, you know, I'm not going opening night. And you had that friend who's like, have you seen the movie? Right? And they just go into too much detail. Have you ever had that happen to you? And you are like, no, I was waiting to see it, right? Or that well-meaning person, and they're like, hey, have you got to that point in the book yet? You know, that point where, ah, and then they say an important plot twist. Have you ever had that, right? Maybe you're like in season two, and they're like, hey, have you got to the point? And you're like, no, I haven't got there yet. If you're a sports fan like me, uh, living here on the West Coast, we've got to record everything, right? Those Easterners, I don't know, they think it's all about them, right? Uh, and their schedules. I just came from the East, if you didn't know. I'm not being... I don't know what that would be like, time zone Not not racist. A time zoneist. I don't know what it is, but but all the timing are there. So you know, we have to record everything. And and uh, as many of you know, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, and so often you know church interferes with my football schedule, and so I got to record the game. But I've learned over the time uh, to start. You know, I have to screen my calls and my text. I almost have to go incommunicado after church, right? Because inevitably someone's going to go and tell me what's going on. And usually, it's something like, too bad about your cowboys. That's usually what they say because that's, you know, it's, that's been, you know, the story for the last number of years. But, but uh, hey, uh, spoiler, like, you know, spoiling the outcome of a game or a movie or a book, that's one thing, but uh, speculating on the outcome of human existence or the end of the world is quite another How many of you know that scientists, along with everyone else, have hypothesized uh, many ways that this world might come to an end, right? Uh, Maybe they said that it might come to an end if we were to smash into another planet and uh, get knocked off our orbit. You know, that would be terrible. I don't think that's how I wanna go. Uh, Maybe swallowed up by a black hole. You know, if I had to to choose one of these end of the world scenarios, maybe the black hole is the one I would take. I don't know, it'd be kind of fun. You know, the multiverse. We'll see if, you know, Marvel's right. Uh, Be consumed by the sun. Anyone wanna be consumed by the sun? No, I don't think so. Uh, What about pummeled by asteroids? Have you ever seen the movie Deep Impact or Armageddon? You know that's a, 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 re- a reoccurring theme. And if we're speaking to movies, we can't forget also the potential threat of alien invasion. So lots of choices on uh, how the world might end, all speculation. We have this fascination with how and when the end might come, right? We've been speculating on that really from the beginning of human existence. Countless predictions and prophecies have been made. There's been numerous years predicted. Do you know the year 666? That, that was the year they thought was going to be the end of the world. And then again in the year uh, 1000, uh, they thought that, that's going to be the end of the year. Anyone who was here uh, remember Y2K? Who remembers Y2K, Right. <laughs> Y2K, where were you, Y2K? Y2K, I had bleach blonde hair. That was the time of bleach blonde hair, like bleach yellow, yellow surfer blonde hair. That's where I was, Y2K. Anyone, you like filled up your bathtub on Y2K because you thought, you know, maybe the infrastructure was gonna go and you wondered if your computer, you know, your your, your DOS computer was gonna, you know, continue, right? There's all kinds of speculation that banking was gonna end. And uh, and lots. so years have been predicted. Many books have been written about why these years are significant. And then the next year, they go in the the bargain bin. And then there's a new book written with a new predicted year, right? Maybe world events, uh, the first Gulf War in 1991. The uh, terrorist attacks of 9-11, always leading to speculation, uh, 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 pointing signs to the end of the world. People looked at ancient predictions. The Mayan calendar was to run out December 21st, 2012, and so that was another year that people thought maybe, just maybe this might lead to the end of the world. You know, for as many people speculate about the end of the world, there's equally, probably more people who take a different approach, and it's something like this. I would just rather not think about it, right? Rather not think about it. And if it was to happen, you know, it's probably not going to happen in my time, right? It all seems a little far-fetched to me. And really, life goes on just like it always has. But here's the spoiler alert today, is that God actually has a lot to say to us about the end of time in his scripture. Scripture references the end a lot. Uh, One of our Pentecostal theologians at uh, Tyndale Seminary, uh, uh, Dr. Van Johnson, he says this. He says, all of human history is an opening act for this thing called eternity. And so if you're just joining us, we are in week four of a five-week series. We've been looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. And uh, in the book of Philippians, we, we see that Paul's talking to these believers that he loves at this church that he had just planted only 10 short years before. And, and he's writing to them. And the irony or the juxtaposition of this letter is the letter's content versus the context in which it was written. We've talked about this, the content being, it's it's a letter filled with inspiration and encouragement centered around the theme of how to have joy. How to have joy. Over 16 times in these four short chapters, Paul references being joyful and finding joy. That's what we've been talking about. Uh, But the irony is that it's written not from a joyous place. It's actually written from a place that you would think would cause anxiety and worry and fear. It would be a place that would create self-pity. Paul is writing uh, about this from a Roman prison. He's writing from this Roman prison and he's talking about how to maintain and foster joy even when life is a struggle. The lights just went on. It's like the end of time. That's good. (laughs) You thought that was a sermon illustration. I, I was like, you never know when it's gonna happen. I don't know. Here's the thing. Instead of imperfect circumstances... Paul keeps talking, in spite of imperfect circumstances, Paul keeps talking about peace and contentment and developing a disposition of joy. And as we've been reading through this book, I've seen two reoccurring themes throughout the whole book. And the one is this, that Christ is my source. No matter what happens to me, I can find joy because Jesus Christ is my source. My joy is not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on what's happening to me. I find my joy in Christ and who he is in my life. The second theme is this theme that we're going to talk about today. this of Christ's return. Christ returns. See, as he talks about joy sixteen times, he talks about Christ's return six times in this book, and so he keeps referencing Christ's return as a source for joy. So, if you'll turn with me to Philippians three, and we're going to read verse seventeen, we're going to look at this today. Philippians three seventeen says, "Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your life after mine, and learn from those who follow our example." Well, that's a bold statement, you know, please don't pattern your life after mine, right? I'm not perfect, but really what he's saying is like, if you want to grow in Christ, follow me, do the things that I'm doing, because I'm trying to not be perfect, but to get better in my faith of pursuing Christ. Remember last week, we were talking about these other people that were coming with all their rules and rituals, and they're saying, this is how you get to know Christ, and he goes, don't worry about them, just do what I'm doing, and you'll be on the right path. Follow me as I follow Christ, he says. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction, their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think about only this life here on earth. That's a powerful statement. With tears in his eyes, Paul's saying, I I come to tears. Because some people claim Christ, but they don't follow the path of Christ. And it says here, the reason is, thinking of only today, their God is their appetites. How many of you being owned and mastered by your cravings is not a good place to be? Right? Whether you're dieting or following Christ, being mastered by your cravings is a bad place to be. Appetites become our God. This is the this is the, our culture and a narrative today. Appetites, cravings have become our God. How many know when your appetite is your God that your cravings are never satisfied, right? It always demands more. This is a slave driver kind of God that always demands more, right? The law of diminishing returns says that we give more and we get less. We give up more and we get less satisfaction. We need to turn to more substances. We need to turn to riskier behavior to try to get that high and the fulfillment that we are looking for. One author said, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. That's what it means to follow our appetite. Paul's saying don't follow your cravings and your appetites. But then he comes to verse 20. He says, but that would be a whole sermon right there. We could just stop right there. That's like a, we could just go home. That's like a whole sermon in a nutshell. But we gotta, we gotta keep going. Verse 20 says this, but, everyone say but. but. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly, everyone say eagerly. eagerly. We're eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. Why? Because he'll take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Hallelujah. Body makeover. (laughs) Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about eschatology. Eschatology just is just a theology from the Greek word. we talking about the eschaton. And the eschaton is really just a scriptural way of talking about the end. What does the end look like? The eschaton. Eschatology is the study of the end. Anyone ready for some eschatology on Father's Day? All right. Well, we're getting it anyways. All right. Uh, Stephen Covey, in his highly popular book, Seven Habits of Highly Successful Leaders, he says this. He says, begin with the end in mind. Whenever you're starting a project or anything like that, he says begin with the end in mind. Where do you want to go? That will determine how you start and how you get there. Begin with the end in mind. And so I think this is Paul's key to how to have joy when life is a struggle. All through the book, he's beginning with the end in mind. For centuries through the Old Testament, God's people had been eagerly expecting and awaiting the end of the world. The word parousia, that's just the Greek word for the day of the Lord. That's why we, uh, your Bible probably translates the day of the Lord, the, the day of Christ's return. Uh, the word for that is parousia, for all you theology nerds. That's really good. Everyone say that with me, parousia. Say eschatology. There we go. We're just deep today. This is really good, right? This is the day the Bible talks about that God, or the, the Old Testament, they were looking to the day that God would send the Messiah. The Messiah was gonna come and he was gonna set society in order. He was gonna come and establish the kingdom of God on earth and that the unjust would be punished and the righteous or God's people would be elevated. And so to illustrate this, I put my art skills to work and I drew you a little chart today to illustrate the Jewish Old Testament thinking of the eschaton. To them, they imagined a day within history that would change the course of history. The history is going to go along, and that the Messiah is going to come, and from here on out, it's going to begin to get better for the righteous. That was their thinking. And so they were constantly frustrated with Jesus because their expectation didn't match what Jesus came to do. They were expecting a day within a history that was going to change it for the better. And from here on, it's all up and to the right for those who are righteous believers of God. But I drew you a second graph. This is what really Jesus came to do. And uh, there you go. And uh, I know, some of you want to hire me for my graphic skills, I know. <laughs> Jesus said, I am going to come. But the surprising thing is that it wasn't all up and to the right from there on. People were confused by this. The Messiah came, but Jesus began to teach and to reveal something else. John 14, three says, I'm gonna go to prepare a place for you. What do you mean, you just got here and you're already leaving? So I'm gonna go prepare a place for you and when everything's ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Right? Jesus is saying, I'm coming, yes, but I'm going to come back again. And when I come, it's not just going to be up and to the right. It's going to be all things new in eternity. John 16, Jesus continues. He says, I've told you all of this so that you might have peace in me. Here on earth, it's not all up and to the right. He's saying, here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. We didn't expect that after the Messiah's coming. Jesus said you're gonna have many trials and sorrows but then he says take heart because I have overcome the world. Talk about unmet expectations. You can see why the Jews were so frustrated with Jesus. This wasn't their expectation. They thought that life was gonna get better here and now and Jesus has said no, you've got it all wrong. I didn't come to just make your life better. I've come to make all things new. And that's the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus initiates the establishment of God's coming. He comes in the virgin birth. He comes, God becomes flesh and lives among his people. He teaches and does healings and proclaims God's kingdom. We see the death and the resurrection. And then Jesus frees humanity from the sin and judgment of God. But then Jesus says there's gonna be an interlude. I don't know if you've ever been to the theater. I remember the first time I went to the theater like, I didn't grow up all like you know hoity-toity. I didn't go to the theater as a kid. You know, I was a sports kid, not a, a not a theater person. But I remember I took Holly to The Lion King at the Pantages Theater or Prince of Wales Theater, Toronto. I forget which one it was. It was my first ever experience at the theater, and I thought I was balling. I got tickets to the theater to take this girl. I was trying to woo her then, still. Like she wasn't committed to me yet. She hadn't you know realized how much she was in love with me at that point. <laughs> So I was trying to impress her with these theater tickets, so I remember going and we started watching this show, "The Lion King," and, uh, and it came to a conclusion, and I was like, "This is weird. This is really short. For the amount of money I paid for these tickets, you know, this was a short play, and like, the conclusion was really, you know, I don't understand theater, I guess. it's just weird. right? I wasn't aware that there was an intermission, <laughs> all right? I, I didn't understand that theater plays out in Acts, right? And so, act one came to a close, and I was like, well, that's pretty lame, you know? It's no wonder I don't go to the theater, <laughs> right? Here's the thing, Jesus Christ says that there's gonna be an intermission Acts 1.9 says that as the disciples were with Jesus and they were standing with him, it says that as he began to, he said, I'm returning to heaven, as they were standing there watching him go, literally, uh, they stood in awe watching Jesus ascend into the clouds. And in Acts 1.11, it says that these angels appeared and said, men of Galilee, Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Because Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return, say he'll return, from heaven the same way you saw him go. He's gonna return the same way you saw him. I love Luke's recording of this uh, scenario. In Luke 24, it says this, while he was blessing them, he left them, and he was taken to heaven, and so what was their response? They worshiped him, and then they returned to Jerusalem filled with sorrow, filled with worry, filled with sadness. No, it says they were filled with joy. The reason they were filled with joy is because they began to understand that the Old Testament has five times as many prophecies about Jesus' second coming as it does about his first coming. They began to understand that this was an interlude, uh, that God had started something new, that he would be faithful to finish what he had begun in the end. These early Christians had begun to start understanding what it means to live with the end in mind. The only thing is they could never imagine the wait. It had been so long. We have reason to believe that these early Christians thought that it would be weeks or months Maybe a couple years, but certainly in their lifetime. But as the years went on and the time ticked, you can turn with me to 2 Peter 3 if you want. We're going to spend a little bit of time there. Peter's addressing this long wait. Peter writes 2 Peter 3, 64 years after Jesus' ascension. 64 years. Just, okay, so for some of you, imagine what were you doing in 1959, Okay. That's how long ago it was that Jesus had left. He said, I'm going to return soon. And so today, from from today to 1959, that's about the time period Peter's writing. And he's saying, hey, this is how long the wait's been. But for others of you, uh, you're forward thinking. So, okay, uh, 2000, how are you going to say this? 2087. Where are you going to be in 2087, okay? If it was Jesus left today, 2087, that's where Peter's writing this story. Just picture that in your mind. 2087, that just sounds like the future, right? Or you're going to have hover cars in 2087 have something. I don't know. That's, I digress. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1. He says, this is my second letter to you, dear friends, writing 64 years after Jesus' ascension. says in both of them I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through the apostles how many need your memory refreshed sometimes right how many of you are like me and have a photographic memory right I need to take a photo to remember anything right (laughs) but um see second dad joke of the day there we go So often we focus on our day-to-day responsibilities. We have to make choices and decisions for this moment. We're busy living life now that we forget that we're living for something greater, right? We need our memories refreshed, and so Peter's writing in verse three, says, most importantly I wanna remind you that in the last days scoffers will come and they'll mock the truth and they'll follow their own desires. And they'll say what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything's remained the same since the world was first created. There's no doubt in the minds of Jesus' followers that they were living in the last days, but the wait was starting to cause them to wonder. The wait was causing them to wonder. Have you ever had to you know, had to wait for something, right? If you're waiting for someone to show up, you begin thinking, Am I in the right place? Did I mix up the details? Are the, are the, is that person still coming? The wait causes us to wonder. And so, Paul, or I mean, Peter here, is uh, picking up on the same things as Paul. And he's saying, In the wait, I want to encourage you with three things. The first one is this don't be disillusioned. Don't be disillusioned. It's easy to become disillusioned when our current reality doesn't match our expectations, right? And so we, like Peter's audience, we can find it hard to reconcile the fact that we recognize the power of God at work. We see the glimpses of God at work, but we still see the effects of sin and destruction and evil, disease and death affecting our world. And so in the waiting, we can begin to wonder, God, is this really true? Are you really in control? you Are really coming back? This is the tension of the already but not yet nature of the kingdom of God. How many of you have ever been to Disneyland, Disney World? It's been so long, I can't remember Disneyland, but I know Disney World. And when I go to Disney World, and you know your kids are like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Right? As you get to Disney World, uh, there's a big sign that says Disney World. And when you get there, you're like, we're here. Woohoo, kids, we're here. Right? But how many know when you're there, you're not really there? Because you pass the sign, but you still got to get into the parking lot. Right, and you gotta find parking and they have all those polite Disney people telling you to park here, park there. So you listen to them. But when you park, you're still not there because then you gotta take the tram and the tram is going to take you to either the ferry boat or to the monorail, right? When you get on the monorail or the ferry boat, you're still not at Disneyland because you got to cross over the lake. And when you get to the lake, then you get to the, the gate, to the entrance where they take your tickets, right? And it's not until you pass through those gates that you're really there. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, we're here, but we're not quite here. Right, and so it's almost like the kingdom of God is like, yeah, we're we're in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is now, but we haven't quite passed through the gates yet to be fully there. Jesus says the kingdom of God, He has initiated. It's advancing. It's growing. It's taking hold and it's increasing influence in our society. That's what God's first coming has done. Uh, Jesus said that Satan and his forces of evil have been defeated. They've been defeated. When we receive Christ as our Savior, as Paul says here, our citizenship is transferred immediately to be citizens of heaven. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We've gone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God, and so we are victorious over evil through our faith in God, but we've only passed the sign. We're only in the parking lot, right? We're only on that tram. We haven't quite got to the front gates yet to really experience the kingdom of God that's to come. The kingdom of God is now. We're living in it, but the kingdom of God is not yet. Christ will return and put all things in his place. Paul explains this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back, and after that the end will come, when he will turn the kingdom of God, to the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power, Peter echoes these same thoughts in Second Peter three five. He says they deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of His command, and He brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water, and then He used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire; they are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. So, you know, we put these two verses together, and we put Scripture together. We get a snapshot of the main events of the end time uh, as reflected in Scripture. We see Jesus' advent, his first coming. We celebrate that at Christmas. We see here the parousia, as it's called, Jesus' second coming. We read about the raising of all believers, both dead and alive, to be with Christ. We see the rewarding of believers for their good works, 2 Corinthians 5.10. And then we see the judgment of unbelievers for their sin and their unbelief. Revelations 20, verse 11. And we see the establishment of a new heaven and a new earth with God for eternity. Now, I recognize this is only an overview. You know, there's been series and charts and books written in many complex ways. But this is a synopsis of eschatology. But here's the thing. Eschatology was never only meant to inform us about the future. It was always meant to inspire us on in how to live today. Talking about the end of time is never just supposed to be about our future knowledge. It's supposed to inspire us on how to live as believers today. And so Peter says, don't be disillusioned when the wait seems long because there's a purpose in the delay. 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. He's being patient for your sake He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. It's interesting, in spite of this, Peter says, don't be disheartened. Even though the end speaks of judgment, it doesn't need to be that way. God has made a way for everyone to be saved. All throughout Scripture, whenever the end is mentioned, it's never mentioned as something to be afraid of or worried about, something to be avoided. It's actually mentioned, like Paul's saying, it's something to be encouraged by, comforted by, something to be looked forward to. See, God hasn't gone to the effort of sending his son Jesus hasn't gone to the effort of dying on the cross as a sacrifice with his own shed blood to leave the program unfinished. Jesus is going to finish what he came to start. He's going to finish what he started, amen? And it's something to look forward to. You know, when my kids were little, I never really took, I never, I never did take joy in disciplining them. Right? It's not fun for me, but one of the things as a parent is as I recognized when they weren't responding when I wanted them to, right? I, I always felt this grace, right? I, I how many of you do this, right? When they're not responding, you begin to count, right? One, two, right? And it's like if you haven't responded by the time I get to three, now I'm going to have to bring discipline in your way. But I'm trying to give them, trying to get their attention, trying to give them an opportunity to respond. And it's almost like God is saying, one, two. <laughs> Come on, Ellen, three. You're there, buddy. That's right, right? It's like God has a purpose in the delay. It's that more people would turn with the opportunity to have repentance and turn to him and trust in him. This is not meant to make us afraid or worried. It's about to inspire us on how we can live for the present. Second Peter 3.11 continues, since everything around us is gonna be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives we should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. Looking forward to the day of God, and hurrying it along. He said, don't be disillusioned. Now he says, don't be distracted. There's a purpose in the waiting. Have you ever noticed when you're looking forward to something, it's like it can't come soon enough? right, you're looking forward to it, whether it's like Christmas or, you know, there's a vacation coming, maybe you bought a new house and you're waiting on the closing date, maybe you have a baby on the way, it's like, I just can't wait for it to come, I can't wait and come soon enough. Have you ever noticed when you're busy and distracted, things sneak up on you, right? Maybe your spouse's birthday or your anniversary, right? Maybe your income tax coming due or, you know, something like that, right? When you're busy, it just sneaks up on you, Right? Peter's saying, don't be distracted. Don't forget there's a purpose in Christ's delay. Well, these two uh, city workers were working one day when the mayor came along, and as he was driving through this small town, he, he noticed these two workers doing something rather unusual. Along one side of this main street, they were working steadily, and, and one of the men was digging a hole, and the other man was quickly filling it in behind them. And after watching them dig and fill several holes in this manner, the mayor, somewhat confused, confronted the workers and asked for an explanation. Well, sir, the first man man replied proudly. He said, we work for the city, thank you very much. And uh, and our city, our job is planting trees. So usually there's three of us, one to dig the hole, one to plant the tree, and one to cover it up. But the guy who plants the trees called in sick, but here we are, (laughs) doing our job. How do we know we can get so focused on what we're doing that we lose sight of the purpose of what we're doing it for? Don't become distracted. As Van Johnson said, all of human history is an opening act for this thing called eternity. And so we can't afford to live distracted from the purpose of what this time is really about. It's not about living as comfortably and arriving at death as safely as possible. But we have a mission. How do we live with the end in mind? Peter here says that we look forward to the day of God and we hurry it along. As I read through scripture, I only see three ways to hurry along the coming of Christ. First one is this prayer. Matthew six ten. Jesus showed us in the Lord's Prayer. He says, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are we prayerfully praying for the kingdom and the purposes of God to be fulfilled in our world. Prayer, the second one is prepare. as repent of your sin and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. And then times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. So we prepare our hearts, we're in prayer, we're preparing our hearts. And the last thing is for us to share. Matthew twenty four fourteen says the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. These are the only three places in scripture, three patterns I see anywhere that we have any influence on hastening the day of the Lord to pray, to prepare, and to share. You know, scripture's clear that no one knows the day or the hour that Jesus will return, but it's not meant to instill fear in us. Mention still passion. Passion for prayer. Passion for the presence of God. Passion for proclaiming that there's still time left. That this wonderful good news of Jesus Christ, that there's a free gift. How many have ever signed up for something? How many know as Christians, we're early adopters, right? Have you ever been an early adopter, right? And you're like got in right at the start and you're telling your friends, this thing is so great. And if you get in now too, right, there's like a free month offer, there's a bonus, whatever it is, right? And and here's the thing, as early adopters of this message and hope of Jesus Christ, we get to tell people that there's this free gift of God. But if you act now, you don't just get eternity with Christ, but you get Christ with you today. Right? This is a foreshadowing of what life is going to be like for eternity. That yeah, God's going to make all things new but he's still making my life new and good today as I walk with Christ daily. How do I live with the earth uh, with the end in mind? I'm praying and preparing and proclaiming this message of hope found in Jesus Christ. Here's the amazing things friends. We're going to wrap with this today. That God has been living with the end in mind. The Bible says that since the beginning, since that Garden of Eden, as humanity took that first step of disobedience, they, they turned their back on God. They said, God, we're going to be autonomous. We're going to make our own just choices. We're going to live like God's ourselves, following our appetites and our desires. Since that day, God has been re- working at restoring humanity's relationship with him. That God had prepared a way to heal the hurt and pain that sin has ravaged his creation with. That God has said, since that day, I'm going to make all things new. And we're in the process of that. We're looking forward to the completion of that. That's not to give us anxiety or worry or fear, but that's meant to instill hope in us today that Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, he's coming so that we could be with him for eternity. All of human history has been an opening act for the eternity that Christ has for us. Would you stand with me this morning? And uh, we're going to pray in just a moment. Maybe you're here today and you're skeptical. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. It's okay to be skeptical. Maybe you're here and you're skeptical and You would say, I'm open though to saying this, that God, if you are real, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you open my eyes to see that this is true? Open my heart to believe, if you're real. How do we know that God can handle those kinds of questions? He can. Maybe you're here today and you're scared because you know in your heart that you haven't made things right with God. This isn't about scaring you into the kingdom of God. That never works. Right, his love and his kindness that draws us to repentance, not fear. Many people in our society live with the belief that heaven's the default destination, that after this life we go to a better place. Doesn't make for a good funeral message, but the Bible actually says that's not true. Right? Bible says that anyone who repents of their sin and places their faith in Jesus will be saved, saved from sin, saved from judgment here's the good news that it's not too late. Act now. Don't delay. We hear that message all the time. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you're scared. Maybe you're distracted today. And you're just saying, yeah, God, thanks for this reminder. I just needed a reminder today that what I'm living for and going through right here on this earth isn't all there is. That there's actually something greater that I'm living for. Whichever camp you find yourself in, uh, would you just bow your heads with me, and, and can we pray this prayer together? Would you repeat this after me today? God, I thank you that from the beginning to the end, you have had me in mind. I thank you that in many times, and in many ways, you have revealed yourself to me, and I ask that you would open my eyes, so I can see you clearly again. Thank you for the way you have made for me to be saved from sin. sin. I repent of my sin sin. and place my faith in the gift of your salvation salvation. through Jesus Christ today. today. Help Help me, I pray, to live with the end in mind Without fear, fear. but with joy and passion. And to share this great news news. with as many as possible. possible. Amen. 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 Can we just thank God for this great gift he's given us today? Praise you, you, Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to dismiss. And as we do, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come right now, actually. They're going to come and they're going to be here.